0: Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. My name is Brandon Laws. I have a special guest with us, Dan Grimfus. He is with Buchanan and Jelly, and he is an employment law attorney. And we are here to talk about the new proposed Fair Labor Standards Act that the Department of Labor proposed recently. So Dan, welcome for one.
1: Well thanks, thanks for having me, great to be with you.
0: Could you give our listeners a sense for the timeline and history of when these changes were announced in the first place and when they're supposed to take effect?
1: Absolutely, let me start out by just first giving a really big picture of what these rules are. These are the U.S. Department of Labor, FLSA, Fair Labor Standards Act rules, and what DOL is planning to do is to more than double the minimum salary for white-collar exempt employees um, from the current $455 a week to a projected figure of $970 a week in 2016, so that's a big change and it's the first time in 11 years since they changed it, and they're also planning to raise the minimum salary for highly compensated employees from $100,000 a year where it is now to a little over $122,000 a year. they're planning also to put in annual increases to those figures, either using a percentile system or the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. And then they're asking employers and, and the public for input on whether they should also tighten up the duties tests for exempt employees. And uh, they're thinking about going with a sort of California-style rule where exempt employees would have to perform the high-level professional managerial duties at least 50% of the time in each work week. And so this is really big. Uh, We know for sure that the salary will be going up soon, and this is going to impact almost every workplace in the U.S.
0: So again, these are these are just proposed changes at this point, and we don't have a hard number for where the increase is going to be because there's been some numbers thrown around. I you, mean, you just alluded to the fact that there there's definitely an increase coming, and that the numbers have been kind of tossed around, and and definitely the media is picking up a lot of this. So where where do we stand at this point?
1: Yeah, so it is important to, for employers to understand. Right now, we just have proposed rules. And the final rules haven't come out yet. It probably is not gonna take effect until sometime next year in 2016. But the DOL has given us a real clear idea of where they're going. And they they quoted a figure of uh, $921 per week for 2013 using their percentile system, which is at the 40th percentile of salaried employees. But they say in in their publication that they're projecting it to be $970 a week in 2016. Now, it could end up being a little higher or lower than that when they finalize the rules. Uh, They're still in the comment period right now. Uh, So we don't know exactly where it's going to end, but we know pretty close. And so it's smart for employers to start planning ahead and thinking about this and determining their strategy because this is going to be a big change. Um, And the DOL, the U.S. Department of Labor, says we think it could affect as many as 21.4 million employees. In the US. That's
0: insane. Wow.
1: Yeah. So this is big. And um, it, it, I'll, I'll take a second and I'll give you the whole history because it goes back 80 years to 1938, almost 80 years. And that's when they first passed the FLSA. and. Anyone who deals with the wage and hour laws know that a lot of this is kind of antiquated. They they wrote it for back then and how work was done back then in 1938. And there have been many amendments to the FLSA over the years where they tried to update it and modernize it. But there's still a lot of stuff that doesn't make a lot (laughs) in today's world. Uh, But so... Since 1938, the DOL, the U.S. Department of Labor, they've raised that minimum salary for white collar exempt employees seven times. And they started out doing it about every seven years or so, um, but then there were these big gaps. And so we had a salary increase in 1975, where they raised that salary to $155 per week. Um, for $250 per week, and they were, they were using either a long test or a short test back then. Um, but then they waited almost 30 years, uh, 29 years actually, until the next big change which was in 2004. And so a lot of folks, if you're in HR, or if you're a manager, you might remember back to 2004 when it changed the last time. Um, and at that time, they raised the, the weekly salary to a minimum of 455 per week. So that was 11 years ago. And back in two thousand four they were calling those the fair pay regulations. Uh, that's DOL's name for those rules. And these are the rules that talk about, you know, who can be classified as a white collar exempt employee in the executive, administrative, professional categories, the EAP categories. And they said they were going to plan to update that salary more often, that they weren't planning to wait another thirty years, but it's taken 11 years and we're still at that same place now, that $455 per week. And so it's never gone up with inflation. And you know, the DOL says, hey, that, that salary is the same as 23,660 bucks a year. And that's below the poverty threshold for a family of four, which is actually a little over 24,000. And it's also below the 10th percentile of full-time workers. So what they're saying is, hey, we should have set it higher back then, and it's high time that we raise it. And, and President Obama actually ordered them to do that. So,
0: I'm kind of curious. So it's it's $23,660 right now annually, and then where they want to raise it to, is it almost double? Is that what I'm understanding?
1: It's more than double. So more than double. If it's as they project, it'll be $970 a week in 2016, which is the same as $50,440 a year, so it's a big change. Um, and you know, President Obama ordered them to do that last year. In, in March of 2014, he signed a presidential memorandum that said, "I want you to, you know, DOL, I want you to update these white collar regulations, and I want you to modernize them and simplify the rules." And so DOL has been working on that for a long time and they kept pushing out the release date uh, over and over. But they finally announced it on June 30th of this year. And then they published them in the Federal Register on July 6th, so just over a month ago. And what they published is 295 pages. Now, I have read all 295 pages. I can assure you, you don't want to. Uh, But what we're going to discuss in this brief podcast really covers the essentials there. Um, the actual rule changes in there is just about 10 pages, the last 10 pages of of that big publication.
0: And again, this is all, this is all proposed at this point. So let me ask you this. If you were a betting man, would would you say that for sure in 2016 at some point, whether it's 1-1 of 2016, there will be a change?
1: For sure, it's going to happen, and the timing is a little up in the air. Um, right now, we're in the 60-day comment period where the public can comment on these proposed rules, and um, it, when uh, they get these comments and review them, they'll then finalize their rules and submit it for interagency review. That whole process can take several months, sometimes as much as 12 months. But uh, you know, if I had to bet, I would think that probably these final rules will come out. Early next year in 2016, and they'll probably take effect somewhere in the middle of 2016. That's just a guess. Um, but uh, the last time they did this, back in 2004, uh, they published it in the Federal Register on April 23, 2004, and they actually gave employers four months until August 23, 2004, before it actually kicked in and took effect. So you, employers are going to have a, a heads up and some time. but. They should still be planning now on thinking about strategy and, and how this is going to affect their employees.
0: I imagine one of the things that's it's on a lot of employers' mind at this point as they've heard a, a lot about this in the media is the, the testing right So right right now there's probably a set of testing rules and you could probably go into that to at a kind of a high level for the, for that I think it's a white collar exemption at this point. What is it going to do when it changes like how did the, how do the testing rules change?
1: So that's a good question because really those tests are not going to change. The duties tests are still going to be there. And in fact, the DOL is asking us, hey, should we tighten those rules up and have a percentage like California, like 50% of the time? But, you know, those rules, we could do a whole, you know, two-hour class on those duties tests. But really quickly what they are for executives the executive or supervisor has to be supervising two or more full-time employees, at least, or the equivalent. They have to have hiring or firing authority or have to be able to make recommendations that carry weight on that, and they have to have, in, under Oregon's laws still, they have to have independent judgment and discretion in how they do their job, and their primary duty has to be in that kind of high-level supervision. And it's the same sort of professional employees. It, it, we're talking about just lawyers, doctors, architects, engineers, CEOs CPAs, pharmacists, these recognized learned occupations where you've got to have a four-year degree minimum and usually more than that. And then there's the administrative category, which is where all the litigation happens. Um, the fuzziest one of all three is the administrative category where we're talking about people like you, like a marketing director or someone who heads up a HR department or a labor relations department or maybe the right-hand person to the CEO of a big company who does lots of high-level management duties. And these are not the people who do the day-to-day work of the company, but they're supporting the business operations. Um, And so uh, you have to still meet these duties, tests. That's not changing. The big thing that's changing is that whole salary level. And that might kick a lot of people out of the exemption where they're going to have to start getting overtime um, unless the employer boosts them up to that new
0: higher salary i imagine you do a lot of consulting with employers on the duties testing portion alone just to make sure that they don't get themselves in hot water long term but is there any tips for how do you even do that test if you have a lot of employees and a lot of managerial and executive types how do you how do you go through that process
1: Yeah, it's not easy, but often, you know, my employer clients will send me a job description or here's a bunch of job descriptions for this job category of we have engineer one, engineer two, and, you know, and I'll look at those job descriptions and look at the essential functions and look at what they mostly do to see does it match up with the duties test. Um, And, uh, you know, it, it, it makes sense to have updated, accurate job descriptions because, The DOL says it doesn't matter what you have on the piece of paper. Um, It doesn't matter even if you give them a really fancy job title. What really matters is what the facts on the ground. What do they actually do in each work week? So um, the job description is helpful if it's updated and accurate, but it won't save you if they really are doing a lot of routine stuff uh, and if it doesn't match up.
0: If the DOL actually tightens up the duties test, as you kind of mentioned a little bit ago, how far in advance do you think we'll actually know that? So employers can properly plan.
1: Oh, we'll have several months, you know, before when they issue the final rules, we'll have several months before it, it goes into effect. My guess is that they're not gonna do that this time because they didn't put that in the proposed rules. In the proposed rules, they just said, hey, give us your feedback. We're thinking about tightening up the duty test, something like maybe California with a percentage. Um, Because right now, that test, the primary duty test is pretty loose. It says you know, generally they should be doing it half the time, but sometimes they'll still qualify even if they do exempt stuff less than half the time. And sometimes it could be only 10% of the week that they're doing provision um, and they still could qualify if that's really their primary purpose and there's a lot of these working kind of assistant managers or middle managers who are they're flipping burgers right by the other people and they're you know ringing up people at the cash register and stocking the shelves and doing and that's where a lot of the litigation has happened and so in California a lot of those people end up being non-exempt and there have been a lot of class action lawsuits because of their tighter rules. And so that could be a big change, but my guess is that they'll probably wait for the next rulemaking to to change that part of it. Um, that's just a guess. But we'll know we'll know ahead of time. We'll have a heads up.
0: I've seen it in the media, and I'm sure you have as well. In all these articles about that are coming out about this proposed change, but there's a lot of stories out there saying that the overtime rules are changing. What do they even mean by that?
1: Yeah, so technically they're wrong. There's a lot of shorthand references like that that you hear in the news. And they say, oh, the, the overtime rule is changing. Um, but that's actually not true. The overtime rule is the rule that says, you know, if a non-exempt employee works over 40 hours in a week, they have to get time and a half. And so that's staying exactly the same. Nothing about the overtime rule changing, that's been in place for 80 years uh, almost under the FLSA. And most of the states follow that, although you know California has daily overtime and Oregon has daily overtime for certain manufacturing employees. Um, but that's the general rule that, that most states follow, anything over 40 hours. So nothing about that is changing. Um, what is changing is that they're tightening up these rules for the white collar exemption. So there's probably gonna be a lot fewer people who qualify as exempt, and that means that more people are gonna qualify for overtime under the existing overtime rule.
0: So it almost sounds like if they're salaried now, they may go backwards based on the the whole testing and and all that through through this new proposed law?
1: Well, if they're salaried now, and they're at a lower salary than the new threshold of 50440 employers are going to have a decision to make. You know, What do we do here? Do we, Are we going to boost this person up to that level? And are we going to keep watching the changes every year and keep boosting it up annually when it goes up so that they match the minimum salary? And are we going to make sure that they still meet the duties test and just keep them exempt? Or are we going to switch them back to hourly or non-exempt and just, pay them overtime after 40 hours, and and that means we have to track their time each day, each week. We have to give them rest breaks and meal periods under state law. We have to make sure their salary comes out to at least minimum wage. Uh, But the big piece is then they're eligible for overtime. Um, And then, you know, they have to make a decision. If we do switch them to hourly, how are we going to do that? Are we going to just take their weekly salary and divide it by 40? Uh, That's one way to do it. Um, but then what if they're working a lot of overtime? They could end up getting way more than what they're making today under their salary. Um, so are we going to set the hourly rate lower, because, you know, if they're working overtime so that they come out to roughly the same annual salary? There's, and, you know, what will be the employee morale effects on that? You know, lots of things for employers to think through. Mm, and also, good point. Yeah. there's a lot of employees who have this prestige factor with being salaried, you know, quote, salaried. So what if we switch them to non-exempt, but we don't want to ruffle the feathers too much. We want to keep them salaried, um, so they have that prestige factor. A lot of employers do that, but what they do is they make them salaried, non-exempt. So that means that even though they're salaried, we still have to keep track of their time and make them take the rest breaks and meal periods, and then we still have to pay them overtime on top of their salary if they go over 40 hours. And so we might decide we're going to do that, but we're going to limit their hours so we don't have such a big overtime hit, um, and maybe hire more people instead. Uh, there's lots of lots of uh, employee relations issues and, and decisions to make there.
0: This is beyond confusing, but it's actually, it actually seems more simple than than you know the 295 pages that are out there. Like the way you articulated, it, it seems simple, but for employers right now, they they're probably in limbo they're saying should i do something now or should i wait till the till the actual the final rules are out out? what should they do at this point what are some practical action items
1: so yeah i think that they want to wait to make any final changes until we actually know what the the new rules are um and, and before i go through that kind of strategy which involves kind of doing a self-audit let me say a little bit more about what the actual proposed changes are um, it, they're, they're, you know, talking about making that duties test stricter um, to maybe that 50% standard like California, but the, the part we know for sure is the salary is going to increase substantially. And so, again, like I said, the current salary has been at $455 a week, and that's $23,660 a year, and that's been for the last 11 years. That's where we still are now. And what they're proposing to do... Uh, which I didn't explain explicitly before, they're they're proposing to set the salary at the 40th percentile of weekly earnings for all full-time salaried workers. And so that level, um, as I mentioned before, it was $921 per week in 2013. And this is a statistic that's put out by the the BLS uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, so you can look it up online. Um, so that 2013 figure is about $47,892 a year. But they're saying in 2016, that 40th percent would be $970 per week. That's the projected figure. And that's where I'm getting that $50,440 a year figure. So if an employer has an exempt employee currently who is earning less than that, less than $50,440, they have to decide, like I said, are we going to bump them up? are we just gonna reclassify them as non-exempt when these new rules take effect? And employers will be getting questions from employees hearing this in the news. Hey, what are you doing about this? And it's important to say, you know, we're aware of these upcoming changes, but you should know these are just proposed rules, and we'll be watching when the final rules come out, and we'll be letting you know about our decisions then. Um, because employees hear it and think that something has already changed and when they hear the news stories. The final rules also say that like I said, the DOL is going to build in some annual increase methodology to increase these numbers, um, and one way they say they might do it is to stick with that 40% figure each year, the 40th percentile, or they say we might use the CPIU, which is the Consumer Price Index for Urban Consumers, and that would index it to inflation, you know, just like our Oregon minimum wage is indexed to inflation, same kind of idea. And the other change that I mentioned is for highly compensated employees. And under the current rules, if I get $100,000 a year or more, my employer can classify me as exempt as long as I just do any one exempt function. It's a pretty easy way to get there. I don't have to meet all the duties tests. You know, just $100,000 and any one exempt function. Well, so in these new rules, they're proposing to raise that to $122,000 148 would be the minimum for a highly compensated employee, and the way they the way they got there was putting it at the 90th percentile in that same uh, that same uh, uh, measure from BLS, and you know, and so it's easy to get an, an exempt employee uh, you know to the exemption that way, but it's going to be harder when they raise that salary, and it, it'll also be indexed annually to increase. Um, Also, keep in mind that here in Oregon, there is no highly compensated employee category in our state wage and hour laws. So even if I do earn a super high salary in Oregon, I still have to meet all the regular duties tests to be exempt from overtime under our state law.
0: Very interesting, yeah. So, I mean, these these are obviously um, not final at this point, but those are some big changes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so the things that employers should be doing right now I mean, first of all, uh, you know, talk about this with HR. Um, take a look at your job descriptions. Do an internal self audit on your employee classifications right now, just under the current law. And, and consider, you know, do we have risk already just under the current rules? Um, do we have people that we think are misclassified in, in the supervisory, the administrative, the professional categories? And so you need to do a really careful review of job descriptions and a really careful review of what the workers are actually doing on the ground each week, and, you know, not just what it says on that piece of paper. If an employer thinks that they've already got misclassified employees under the current rules, and keep in mind, the U.S. Department of Labor has been doing tons of audits in this area, and they say, based on their stepped-up audits, they, you know, they say, we're finding 70% of employers out there have misclassified employees already. So if you come to that conclusion that we're, we've got some people in the gray zone where you know it could go either way, kind of iffy, I always advise employers to err on the side of non-exempt classification because the truth is most employees are non-exempt and it's only a small percentage who will qualify as exempt usually. Um, and this year would be a really good time to do that kind of change because you kind of have these new rules in the news as a cover or sort of an explanation to say, hey, we know these new changes are coming and we've decided as an employer we're choosing to reclassify you going forward as non-exempt. And you can do it in a way that's kind of seamless and um, hopefully that reduces your risk that way and just make the change going forward without you know, saying, oops, we blew it and we've misclassified you and, oh, we owe you three years of back overtime. You know, hopefully you do it in a way that doesn't scare up claims, but um, this, this gives you an opportunity to make that change going forward and a lot of my employer clients have done that. Also, like we said, we want to look really carefully at those employees who are in that salary zone where they're between the current salary of 23660 and in between that and the new salary which is $50,440 they are projecting, anyone in that range, start making some contingency plans. You know, what are we gonna do with these people? Um, are we gonna convert some of them to non-exempt? And then how are we gonna set their hourly rate? Or are we gonna keep them salaried non-exempt? Which is more complicated, but then they have that prestige factor, right, of still being salaried. And then if you're gonna make them salaried non-exempt, there's some decisions there. Um, are we gonna have a fluctuating work week agreement with them? because they sometimes go above 40 hours and sometimes below. In those cases, you can have that kind of agreement in advance and you only have to pay overtime at a 0.5 rate instead of 1.5 on top of their salary. But if you don't have that kind of agreement or if their hours don't fluctuate, you have to pay them at the 1.5 rate on top of their salary. So lots and lots of issues to think about. But either way, if you're going to convert people to non exempt it means we've got to start tracking their, their daily and weekly hours, giving them rest breaks and meal periods, paying them overtime after 40 hours a week. And so that means we now have to come up with some method to track these people's hours, where in the past we haven't been doing that with a lot of these people. Um, you know, another thing is for some, someone who's making, let's say, $48,000 a year right now, probably makes sense to just boost them up to the 50,440 if, if they still meet all the tests to be exempt. You know, so it, it's gonna be different for each employer. And another thing to think about, some employers have salary ranges for jobs, right? Where, you know, let's say the range for this job is 45,000 to 55,000. Um, well, that is staggered right across that new threshold of 50,440. So that means we have got some people below the threshold and some people in this job above so what are we going to do with that are we going to move the whole salary range up above the 50,440? 440 are we going to have some people non-exempt in this range and some exempt um, lots of lots of issues that are going to come up it is it's simple on the face of it but it creates a lot of strategy issues and decisions for employers
0: but I think the 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 action items you kind of laid out with the self audit and really just organizing yourself around how to track this, I think that's probably a, a really good action for right now. So that way, when the the final regs do come down, that you're you're prepared to make a change. And when you do decide to make that change, whether it's to exempt or non-exempt, when when should that happen? And then what what else should kind of take place at that yeah. point?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. The advanced planning now is going to pay off because you're only going to have a few months once the final rules come out and to do and a lot to think about. So on the timing, um, I wouldn't convert anyone right now. If you're confident that they're properly classified right now, I would wait. I would start maybe thinking about revising job descriptions and doing your self-audit and, and consider doing that self-audit under attorney-client privilege, right? You know, talking with your labor employment attorney throughout that process to keep it a privileged, um, you know, so it's not something that's discoverable. Um, that's usually a good option here. And, but I would wait to finalize your audit, your self audit until we know exactly what the final rules say, you know, because if we boost employees up to 50,440 right now, And then it turns out that the DOL decides, okay, we've considered employer comments and we're only going to set it at 47,000. Then you'll probably be a little peeved that you did that. So I think it makes sense to wait and see exactly what the final rules say. Right now, we're still in the 60-day comment period that goes through September 4th. And by the way, if you want to submit comments, you can go on the DOL website and read these rules and it tells you how to submit comments. And there's organizations like SHRM, SHRM, that have asked to extend the 60 days and have a longer comment period, so it, it might get extended. But after that comment period, DOL is going to review all the comments and then they'll draft their final rule and have it reviewed and um, probably will be you know, several months into 2016 before there's anything final. But like I said, this year could be a good time to change your classification if you know or you strongly believe that someone is misclassified already. So, you know, bottom line, we don't have the final changes and anything final yet, but we know this salary is going to go up dramatically. And so employers should be planning for that right now. And you should work with your friendly Zenium HR consultant or your friendly labor and employment attorney and get going on on your planning.
0: And so speaking of that, Dan, we appreciate you being on the podcast for one. I mean, you're a, a wealth of knowledge and we definitely appreciate you. Give out your information, if, if you will. I think people would probably love to get in, get in contact with you if they have a need.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, so it's Dan Grinfus, and I'm with Buchanan, Angeli, Altschul, and Sullivan in Portland. And the quickest way to get to me is to go to our website, which is
0: www.baaslaw.com.
1: So it's B like boy, A-A-S-L-A-W.com, com.
0: And we'll make sure to put up a a link to all that contact information for the listener as well. So, Dan, appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, Definitely excited and and anxious about what's what's to come.
1: Yeah, big changes, and, and thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.